Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. And now, a presentation on the Mental Health News Radio Network. The Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. Ryan, that is a freaking awesome question. You are the power, and you do not need anybody's permission. He's the only guy that ever crawled out of a brain where people didn't go, oh, ah! Don't worry, don't be afraid, ever, because this is just a ride. You're, you're a great interviewer. You're one of the best. If this is the best God can do, I am not impressed. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Out of Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. OutofLimitsRadio.com. I'm your host, Ryan. Tonight, our show is about surviving hyperinflation. We have an amazing guest, Fernando Guire who is in Argentina when their economy collapsed in 2001. He's going to explain what hyperinflation is, what it was like, and you know what, how life forever changed. First thing you should know is that when hyperinflation happens, it leads to a dramatically reduced standard of living in whatever country you're in. And I believe it's going to happen very soon in the U.S. It's probably imminent. So you're probably thinking, okay, well, first off, let's address what is hyperinflation. Hyperinflation is the death of money. It is a total collapse of the confidence of the money and the currency. 100% of all fiat-based currencies or paperback currencies fail. Never had a fiat currency survive, ever. 100% of them all collapse, historically speaking. So hyperinflation happens when the currency is dramatically mismanaged. Usually happens when a country has a lot of debt and they just print paper currency, print a lot of money, put so much money in circulation that each of the dollars or currency uh, denomination becomes absolutely worthless. And that's exactly where the U.S. is on right now. So to give you an idea of some recent countries that experienced hyperinflation, you've got Wiramar, Germany, you've got Zimbabwe, and you've got Venezuela. They all have the same trajectory as the U.S. currently does as far as they're printing the money. So, quick synopsis is you go to a store, you go to pick up a few items, your total comes out to be eight bucks. Next day you go and you buy the same items, your total comes out to be 25 bucks. And next thing you know, you're seeing items in a store that you, you bought a couple days ago, and now they're, they're like three or $400. It's because the currency is dying because you have so much currency in circulation that they're chasing so many, uh, too little goods, so few goods. And it's devastating. I mean, think about all the times that you didn't go out and have a good time because you wanted to save some money, or you acted responsible and you wanted to save some money, or you're just being fiscally responsible, unlike the the governments around the world, which is absolutely reckless. When hyperinflation happens, if you're a saver, you've saved money, you you get killed. You absolutely get killed. It sucks. You know that money that you have. Yeah, you may have a hundred thousand dollars, but what does it purchase? Really next to nothing. And that's the worst thing about it. And that's why I've 
talking about it since 2014 because you deserve to know. You deserve to be able to take some actions in order to protect yourself. Because, again, a lot of people, they don't see this. They don't look about it. They don't really talk about it. They don't talk about hyperinflation on the news. The only person that's talking about it on the news is Peter Schiff. We had him on our show last week, and he explained it very thoroughly. But a couple quick things you can do. All right. While you have fiat currency that has some value, go to a store and pick up some items long-term, buy some clothes, buy some tools, or buy real estate, or even buy gold or silver, or any kind of precious commodities like Peter uh, Schiff talked about, some of the other people talked about. Because when you have hyperinflation, all you have is you have things of intrinsic value. And again, the paper money that we have in our pockets, it's losing value by the day. And I'll give you an example about this, because they always say, we always hear things in the news, oh, the inflation rates are 2.3%. That's it. Well, I'm going to tell you, that's simply not true. If you go to a website called usinflationcalculator.com, again, usinflationcalculator.com, you can see how the currency has depreciated in value. So the year I was born was 1978. So if I purchased an item for $100 in 1978... That same item would cost three hundred ninety-six dollars and seventy-five cents in twenty twenty. So the rate of inflation is two hundred ninety-six point seven percent. Yeah, that is not two point three percent. So the inflation's been happening for a long time. The savings that we have in our banks is being eaten by termites, and the only thing we can do is take that fiat currency, take that money, and put it in something a tangible intrinsic value. And when hyperinflation happens, again, the entire currency gets destroyed. So I'm sure they're probably going to peg it to a new currency. As Peter Schiff says, they're probably going to put it towards a gold or silver standard or something or something else of tangible value with the new currency system they're going to put in. Either way, it looks like the U.S. is going to go. Uh, but the reason why I'm sounding really alarmist about this is because you know, the president came out last week and said everyone is going to get $3,000 in the mail. Everyone's going to get $3,000. And people are like, oh, that's wonderful. I'm going to get a $3,000 check. But if you just go to a printing machine and you counterfeit a trillion dollars and you throw that trillion dollars into a system that's already fragile where the economic output pretty much at zero right now, of what, 50% of the country, 30 or, 30 or 50% of the country is unemployed, that's just going to add inflation. That could be the thing that pushes us over. So we always have to be aware about that too. And if you've been listening to the show since 2014, it's all about giving you anything you can to give you an edge so you can improve your life, you can be strong. Many people around you, your family and friends, are not going to see this coming. I've got really close friends that are very smart. They don't see this coming at all. I don't understand why. I mean, it's just, it's, it's a mathematical inevitability. But it is what it is. So let us begin tonight's show. It is a great joy to welcome back to the program Fernando Aguirre. He's author of two books, The Modern Survival Manual, Surviving the Economic Collapse. He's also author of another book called Street Survival Skills, Tips, Tricks, and Tactics for Modern Survival. I have to tell you something. I've read, I remember reading Fernando's first book, Surviving the Economic Collapse, and it had a huge impact on me. And it was so wild to interview him and have him be part of the show we did on the economic collapse some years ago. We still got a lot of compliments on the interview. You can more about Fernando by going to his website at themodernsurvivalist.com. Fernando, welcome back to the show. How are you, sir? 
Ryan, great to be talking with you. Thank you. So, it uh, looks like the world is getting a little crazy. And in the good old U.S. of A., people are sneaking into Mexico to buy stuff. Kind of, it's hysterical. Mexico's like, got to keep those Americans out. So it looks like we're going to head towards, uh, according to Peter Schiff and some other people, hyperinflation. That's when the currency becomes absolutely worthless. So you experienced hyperinflation, firsthand experience in Argentina. Can you please explain to people what that is like, what are some of the signs, and do you see what is happening in the U.S. as similar situations and similar signs that hyperinflation hit Argentina? Well, there's, there's of course, especially now with the virus, there's, there's a, of course differences, but it, it is, is somewhat similar to see how people are, are so desperate, especially uh, you see all the panic buying. Uh, well, when, when the economy crashed in Argentina back in the day, you would see something similar because people were trying to get stuff that they needed, you know, the, the, the panic buying was, was similar in that regard. But it is, of course, now you, you have the virus, which is yet another layer of complication. So to, to the difficulty of, of getting the, the supplies you need, people are, are going to be in quarantine for a long period of time. They're going to be losing jobs. It's going to be very ugly, really. But when did you... When did you see hyperinflation start to kick, and when did you start seeing prices start to skyrocket? And did did when did everyone start to really catch on to it? Because right now we have a a president who's going to give everyone a thousand, two thousand dollars, and I just you know adding that much money to the money supply. I wonder if that's going to yeah. kick it off. But what are some of the well, signs? You, you see everyone going to change because as you were just saying, when, when you give everyone money at the same time, that money starts losing value very fast. You know, it, it, it becomes painfully obvious to everyone that it's not nearly worth it as much as it was. And, and people will continue doing what you see now, which is panic buying, trying to trade that for something that they can actually use. And that is that is very, very dangerous as soon as people, because Ryan, one of the things that people don't, don't quite understand is all, all these numbers, the economy, the, the cold, you know, number crunching thing is all very sentimental. It only has a value on, until every, uh, 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 as long as everyone agrees that it has a value. The moment people agree that it's not valuable anymore, that a roll of toilet paper is worth more than those few bucks that he has in the pocket, that's when hyperinflation starts hitting. So if you can take back the 2001 before hyperinflation hit your country, when all of a sudden you went to the store, you know, Milk is a dollar. Let's use U.S. dollar. Next day it's three dollars. Next thing it's ten dollars, and then it's four thousand dollars. They, they jump to the, what would be like five things that you think most people in Argentina wish they knew prior to hyperinflation happening. Well, one of the obvious things would be a lot of people wish that they they had got rid of the Argentine peso and bought U.S. dollars instead. That was our safety net. Because in that context, the country is going down, the rest of the world is okay, the U.S. dollar is, is the, the the currency of the world, basically. And, and this, um, thinking in a, in a more global scenario, gold would be one, one of the safety havens historically where uh, investors put their money. So one of the things that people in Argentina wish, wish they had done would be get rid of those pesos, buy U.S. dollars, or even buy gold, which also kept its value as well. Um, gold was was a big deal back then. I mean, it still is. When you see the economy shaking, you see 
gold going up in in value. So that would be one of one of the main things. Uh, also, getting the necessary supplies that you need, uh, having um, the necessary uh, food. Um, everything that you use in your household for a period of time. In our case, it was twofold. It was because the economy was crashing, that money would buy you less tomorrow than it did today. Uh, besides, it could be that the store you had had been looted. You know, Now, thinking of what's happening, it may be empty shells, but basically it's the same outcome. And comparison, if you look at the U.S., I don't know how if you see, you can see inside, but I think people are really on edge in our country. At least in the yeah. U.S., you have a lot of people that's what I'm really worried about, it, that there are all, all these antidepressants and there are a lot of medicines that if they just drop suddenly, you're going to see mental breakdowns and the likes of which we've probably never seen. I'm also worried about a lot of elderly people because they're on medicines that, you know, that they, that life-saving medicines. And if you have hyperinflation, I wonder if that's going to affect it. So, do you what do you think generally happens when a society goes through this? Do you think we see a, uh, the worst of humanity kind of come out? Do people generally turn on each other? Do they turn on each other in your country, or do they people come together and try to help each other? I, I wish I had a more positive attitude and tell you yes, everyone comes together or everyone helps out, which is true to some extent. It, it is true. You you see some some amazing things uh, of people helping one another and doing sacrifices and being very charitable. But you also see them the more petty side. If if I had to be completely honest, it's more of the human miseries and, and pettiness than the positive ones. Um, when, when people are scared, when, when people are desperate, they, they usually tend to fend for themselves first and uh, have a, more of a, of a selfish attitude. You, you see quite a bit about that. Um, but, man, it, it's, it's really not looking any good. Uh, as you were saying, in, in the United States, lots of people, people on medication, lots of people in very poor health as well. As well. Yeah. No, 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 not only lots of drugs, obesity, a big one, L lack, of, lack of, of medical cover. There's a lot of people that don't go to a doctor because they cannot afford it. Let's be completely honest with that as well. No, I'm okay. I'll just get by. And, no, I'm not going to be getting, getting myself checked because I cannot afford it right now for whatever reason. That is going to be biting people uh, very soon. And the hyperinflation you experienced in your country, I mean, did you see that there was a big burst of anger that came out and then this thing kind of settled down? Was, the, it, was it like a the, years of pain and, and, and it was like – Yeah. There's a there's a a meme floating around where there's Homer Simpson sitting in his couch with a with a house burning down, and he's like and it says uh, uh, when the world is crashing, but you're from Argentina, so you're so you're already used to it, <laughs> <laughs> which is kind of true. You're you you're always used to things falling apart. Yeah, it, it started in 2001, but it, it's been. Man, it never got back to what it used to be. So it's, it's been 20 years that the country is still a shadow of its former self. It was once like the, the Paris of South America. And now it's just uh, another uh, third world developing country uh, of South America, maybe on the lower end of it in many ways. So... These are huge impacts, uh, and I'm honestly worried what's what's happening now globally because uh, the entire world looking this way, it's going to be very painful for a lot of people. Agree. 
And Peter Schiff, who we've just had on our show, says that once this thing happens, at least in the U.S., they said the U.S. is going to get the worst because you know we have the world's reserve currency. He said the, the American standard of living is going to be permanently changed. So I'm curious, like, if you're reusing because you just went because your country went through it, how would you say uh, give some comparisons between before and after this event that the standard of living dropped for most people in your country? Well, you've already been seeing quite a bit of this because if you look back about 10 years from now, 20 years back, was the United States the same? Did you have those streets full of homeless people like you have in L.A. right now? Was that really like what it looked like? No, or, or, no, or is that really quite recently? It's recently. It's, like it's, it's accelerating at an amazing pace. And it runs, there's just a bunch of people who don't want to work and don't go on drugs. Well, yeah, I don't know. It just doesn't. It, it doesn't seem strange. It just seems very strange. I see, I see the purchasing power of the, of the money dropping. I mean, it hasn't hit hyperinflation yet, but I mean, geez, I, the money that my was worth a lot less than what it was, and I yeah. see the middle class being evaporated. But I mean, when the once the event happens, what do you think are some of the things that people take for granted today that they're probably not going to have after this, uh, you know, collapse happens or economic well, collapse? You just mentioned it. Is the middle class? dropping slowly maybe it's going to be more accelerated now given everything the, the, what's happening but it's been happening for a few years now already as we all know but it's going to be accelerating pretty fast now given everything that's happening but there's going to be people that just cannot afford lots of things that, that they used to maybe you can still have a, a, a cell phone you don't need maybe you'll have a big tv but in terms of healthcare, in terms of the quality of life that you'll have, education for your kids, unless you can afford private, it's going to be very bad. Poverty is going to be more, a lot more widespread than people assume. And this is, as we were saying before, it's happening already slowly. It's going to be more accelerated, so people will notice it more. But that's basically what it comes down to. It's going to be a lot more poor people than you used to have. It's going to be a lot of middle class that suddenly becomes poor. Now, when people in your country, when they had debts, outstanding debts like mortgages, were they able to keep their houses? Did the banks come by and keep their houses? I'm just curious about how outstanding debts work because I'm always curious about what's going to happen. I mean, if you have a mortgage in your house, all of a sudden the money becomes worthless, a mortgage is a certain amount, and all of a sudden you know they keep on printing money. So I imagine everyone would be able to pay off their mortgage pretty quickly. I mean, what, what generally happens to that? Did, did, I figure that at one point – more people would be able to afford to be in their houses and be able to rent because the, the money wasn't worth anything. Well, what, what happens is that there's change. Well, in, in the case of, of Argentina, you have to keep, keep in mind the, the differences as well. In the case of Argentina, a lot of people didn't have mortgages because they couldn't afford those in the first place. There's not the same culture as in the United States where just anyone drops, drops by a bank and they get a mortgage. No. In Argentina, if you didn't have the money for it, you didn't get a mortgage. And I mean, if you didn't have the money for pretty much paying for the thing already, the bank was not going to be loaning you everything. And so there wasn't a, a, as many mortgages, but a lot of people lost their homes because of the crisis. They couldn't make the payments and they lost it. There was an emergency decree of some kind that if the house was, was worth less than 100,000 uh, U.S. equivalent, you had uh, you know more payments to be made or something like that. But at the end of the day, 
most people that were in a position that they had the average home, they ended up losing that uh, because they just couldn't make the payments. Uh, the laws usually benefit banks, not people. That is something everyone should keep in mind as well. Alta, when we spoke the last time, one of the things you said to me, uh, I've never forgotten this, and I brought this up to a couple of people's attention. Remember you said that despite all this stuff that's happening, despite all the fact that your country goes through this major hyperinflation and the economy is destroyed, the politicians still remain in power. I, I, don't yes. I don't understand that. And I was talking to Peter Schiff about this. Like, How did the government maintain the same power if they can't pay their employees, if their currency is worthless? How, how did the government manage to stay in power and you know keep the force going if they didn't have the money to pay the employees? They're, they're goons. So. <laughs> well, the, there's an entire system of corruption. I mean, it's very interesting to see what, what happened in Argentina with, with the same politicians that basically destroyed the country after 2001. They're back in power right now. I mean, the... After 2001, a, a man called Nestor Kirchner became president. His wife, Cristina, became president after him. Then we had, for four years, we, we had a we had a very decent president called Mauricio Macri. Now, Cristina Kirchner is back in power as the vice president of her former secretary. Her, her former secretary is, is now uh, Alberto Fernandez, president of Argentina. She's in power as a vice president. The woman is 70-something years old. She's still running the show over there. Oh, yeah, that's what I'm, I'm really shocked about. I wonder what that would I don't know if that would happen in the U.S. The U.S. is pretty big. And we've got 400 million guns in the U.S., and that's the question I want to ask you. Because, <laughs> you know, prior, I mean, even a month ago, a lot of people in the U.S. were saying, well, you know... We need, the, we, need, we need gun control. We need the government to take all the guns, which I don't – I completely disagree with. I don't care what anyone says. I don't want them to have more guns than the people. But we have 400 million guns in the U.S. Yeah. Right now, I mean, can you please explain from your perspective what you experience? What is your biggest case for why people should have guns, why they should get a gun? Why – well, it's – it's a matter of of principle for me. I, I believe in the right to own firearms, and I believe that if you analyze the different countries where people don't have the right to own guns, you would not like to live in those countries. I'm talking about North Korea, talking about Cuba, I'm talking about – I mean Venezuela, for example. It used to be that you could own guns in Venezuela with a current uh, dictatorship. No, you don't have that right anymore. Uh, if you look at the countries where people can own guns, you're talking about some of the most armed countries in the world. Of course, there's the United States. There's also Canada. There's also Switzerland, Germany, Nordic countries where the quality, the standard of living is very high. Uh, guns in society are, are, are a good thing. At least that's the way I see it. It, it ensures that people have some level of power. You know, uh, when when a politician wants to take that away from you. Uh, I've become very suspicious of that. I'm very suspicious, especially in the U.S. Right, this is going to sound like a really sec- like strange, cryptic question. I, I can't help it because this is this is actually this comes from something I was reading in Robert Greene's books, Laws of Power, and what it really comes down to is if somebody attacks your community, if somebody tries to physically, sexually assault, or tries to cause harm to your community. Do you go out of your way to make an example of that person, harm them in a way that is so horrific that it has a psychological implications to all the other people that would come through? Did you find that at all in your community, in your country, 
where it's where if people were dealt with so severely and so harshly in such a unimaginable level that it generally would be a deterrent for others not to come in and attack that community uh, could be. I mean, there's there's been cases of, of people being lynched. That's very typical of South of South America. If they get like a, like a pedophile, something like that, he, it's not unheard of of him having his house burned down and him being basically slaughtered on the streets. But I I don't know if it really dissuade some of these uh, horrible predators from doing what it, maybe at some level they're they have like an animalistic behavior they just have to be separated from society altogether because they will not change no matter what you do to them that's why these people should never be released back into the general population some of these are um, cannot be helped they they are beyond any um, any recovery and any any kind of the normal social behavior. Uh, is there anything that you you observe firsthand that was the deterrent to certain people? Because in our country, some people have, uh, you know, they have alarm systems. Some people have dogs. Some people have lights that go on in their house. Some people let people know that they're armed. So, like, what are you, in your experience, were deterrents for crime? Well. Sure, security works on on, on it's, it's like an onion. It works on on layers, and you have to have as many layers as possible. And your really your last line of defense is your gun. That that should be the thing you end up using when I'm talking specifically about home defense, right? But even personal defense on the street, awareness is a huge thing. Being careful. Most criminals, if they notice you're aware, if they notice you're looking around and not with your face, this is something I address a lot in my last book, Street Survival Skills. Uh, criminals, they smell this. They, they see this from you. If they see that your face is not glued to your cell phone, that you're looking around aware, they're going to be looking for someone that's a little bit more distracted. Uh, avoiding dangerous places, dangerous people, you know, bad situations entirely, all helps to being uh, safer now on a, on a home security level that's very important especially in a place like, like Argentina especially in places where crime does go up and that's very typical of socioeconomic collapses the, the kind of security you have in your house definitely has to change for me that's going to be having an alarm system having a camera that tells you when someone is inside the house having burglar bars on your windows and a reinforced main door having a perimeter which is something that a lot of people think it's it's overkill no these are basics in, in across South, South America. Uh, motion detector lights and uh, motion detector uh, for uh, for larger properties, of course, also makes sense. Cameras, everything that you can have, and, and the dogs. Dogs are a big deterrent as well. But all of this works in 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 conjunction in different layers as to make your house safer. Awesome, thank you. And how would you just reinforce your door real quick? I mean, I've got these these things. It's called a. It's a little block, so if someone tries to push in the door, it, it like it blocks it, it pushes it. I mean, how would what are some of the ways that you recommend reinforcing your door? Well, one of the more simple ways, uh, especially in the United States, because construction changes from one country to the other. In, in my case, in Argentina, or even the the door I have now, it's poured concrete on a metal frame. Now, in, in the United States, most most houses have a a wooden frame, and they have these very tiny little cheap screws that barely hold the door in place. Replacing those with three-inch screws already improves the security of the of the door quite a bit. There's different kits. You can buy these on on Amazon. I I, I put them in in my blog every once in a while. 
but the the plate where the lock of the door goes into, you change that plate with something a little bit more sturdy, you change those screws, the lock itself, but getting a better lock, all of these things make the door, and if the door is of sturdy material itself, which sometimes it's not, if it's the cheapest door, you, you want something more sturdy, but these kind of things make it a, a lot safer and not as easy to kick down. And I see in your latest uh, blog, you're talking about the bidet, which is the uh, unsung hero of the coronavirus. It's great because <laughs> I know people in the U.S. are going crazy over toilet paper. I, I, I got to say, like, I, I'm worried about it too. I, I, you know, I've been without toilet paper before. It's crucial. I need it. I, I <laughs> but uh, we talked before, and you said that you actually have a uh, how to make hand sanitizer because people are asking about that. How, what is your method of making hand sanitizer? Well, this is something that I, I address in my last book because it happened to me with the H, H1N1 virus back in, what was it, 2009 maybe? I don't remember when it was. But back then, we ran out of hand sanitizer and the pandemic hit Buenos Aires pretty bad. We had classes suspended as well. You couldn't find respirators either. And I looked it up and yeah, I, I did end up making my own hand sanitizer back then using alcohol and hair gel <laughs> now there's better ways you you have to use 60% of alcohol 60% of pure alcohol in your homemade sanitizer because that's what the CDC says you need so as to kill those germs and viruses so 60% of alcohol then you fill it up with a aloe vera gel or, or some other moisturing agent um, a, a couple of drops of, of some lavender oil or something so as to have a little bit more lubrication and not dry the skin too much. That basically is your own homemade hand go. sanitizer. Awesome. <laughs> so you just get some aloe, aloe vera gel. You mix it yeah. with rubbing alcohol and there you go. Simple enough, yeah. That's awesome. That's really genius. All right, so yeah, the, the thing in the U.S. right now is that people go crazy. Like They want the hand sanitizer, they want the toilet paper. I think there's a couple of things they should probably be looking for, which is like toothpaste, toothbrushes, um, you know, Treadmills aren't going off the shelves anytime soon. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> what are some of the other items that you think that people should probably be stocking up on maybe before the herds get crazy and they get, they get a yeah. sense of what, what they should go after? There's a, there's a pile of different supplies. Basically, anything you use in your household, this is a very easy way of going through it. Check, check your 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 bill when when you buy from the groceries once a month or or every couple of weeks and run your own numbers see what is it that you use in your household for a month ideally you would want to have at least a couple months worth of standard supplies that you use and that's going to be including everything from toilet paper to toothpaste everything that you use in your house you should have maybe a couple months of it at the very least if you have more even better especially in terms of food then there's is some things that people don't think that much about like ha having a nice TVs. Look at right now with, with the quarantine. Uh, I have a great TV. I have a very nice one because I learned my lesson back in, in the day. And that becomes handy for watching movies, playing video games with, with my kids. It's you know, a good way of spending time. Uh, your your threadmill, your elliptic trainer has to work out in your house. Um, having a, you know, a garden so has to spend some time there as well. Those are, are, are all nice things. Um, but basically, yeah, and having a good relationship with your family. I I love being with my family. That's it's, it's something I really enjoy, and it's no, it's it's, awesome. it's not hard for you. That's yeah, awesome. <laughs> it's not hard for me to be in a quarantine right now. <laughs> 
Uh, I mean, that's pretty crazy. A lot of people go crazy with their I mean, we've been, Technically, in the U.S., people have been quarantined, I think, for a couple of days, and they're all, they're, we're already seeing like, cases where they're like, oh, my God, I'm going to get divorced. I'm going crazy. I'm going out there. So uh, mental health perspectives, what are some of the things that you think that people can do to keep going strong? Because I see like when this crisis hits the U.S. and full forth, I think a lot of people are going to drop out. They're going to be committing suicide in masses. I really do believe this because I think there's, there's too many um, people in the U.S., that are cowards that don't stand up for anything. I think some of them are going to step up, but most of them are just going to, are going to crack up. They're going, to, they're going to wait for the government to save them. It's never going to happen. So for those that uh, want to stay in, that are in this world for the long haul, that are here to stay, what are some of the mental health tips that you can offer? For, for oh, the, the, the suicide thing is is very typical. I mean, in Argentina with a crisis – People committed suicide like it went up like 200 percent, something like that, or even 300 percent. It was incredible. I mean, I was working in, in downtown Buenos Aires and I would catch the train. There was a time in which twice a week, maybe someone would jump under the train. You know, it, it was that crazy. It, it, people committed suicide a lot. It, man, it's just about trying to stay positive, doing your best and always seeing the, the half full glass you know even if it's less than half full even if you have a quarter of it full just working with that staying super positive working out exercising it helps you it, you know those endorphins may make you be more positive as well and trying to stay calm for some people it's meditation for some people it's going to be some type of hobby but staying positive is huge Fernando Guay, I want to thank you so much for being with us. I'll tell you what, it's a great honor to have you back on the show. Again, your books, you've got two really awesome books. I want to tell everyone what they are again. The Modern Survival Manual, Surviving the Economic Collapse. I read this book and it, it was incredibly helpful. It's so much great advice. You also have the other book, Street Survival Skills, Tips, Tricks, and Tactics for Modern Survival. Learn about Fernando by going to his website at themodernsurvivalist.com. Always updated with great articles, great advice. I said the word great a lot, so I'll say fantastic advice. Fernando, thank you so much for all your help and for being on our show. Ryan, it's been a pleasure. Okay, everyone, that concludes today's edition of the Out of Limits of the Truth Radio Show. Special thanks to our featured guest, Fernando Guar, and special thanks, as always, to our virtues, Miss Carrie O'Connor, Miss Lisa Casa, Miss Constance Dallas, and Miss Lisa McGarity. To learn more about the Outer Limits of Inner Truth, please go to our website at OuterLimitsRadio.com. Until the next time we meet, my friends, I wish upon you an abundance of peace, love, and beers. If you are quarantined, remember, you can always still party and have a good time. Life is great. I hope we continue to live a lot more of it. Thank you so much for listening. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. You've always had what it takes to make it happen, and we know the right tools can make it easier. At Strayer University, we're always thinking about new ways to set you up for success. That's why we give you a brand new laptop when you enroll in a bachelor's program, so you can start off on the right foot and keep
keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Eligibility rules, restrictions, and exclusions apply. Connect with us for details. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by Chef.